Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Today I want to draw your attention to just one word, found in verse 35 and found in verse 39. It's the word love. Would you say love with me? Love. Say it again. Love. One more time, please. Loud as you can. Love. If I could summarize the New Testament with one word, it's that word, love. Jesus said, after somebody came and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, first and foremost, love God. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the great commandment. Paul, in the same letter we're reading from, summarized all those Old Testament commandments with one word, love. As we come to Romans chapter 8, it is my favorite chapter of Romans because of the beginning verse where it says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful today that as a child of God, as a saved, regenerated child of God, that when I stand before Him, I will not be condemned or declared guilty, but I will be innocent from all of my sins because Jesus has stepped in and forgiven me of all of it. The Bible goes on and, and it speaks here in this chapter of a whole lot of other things. But I like what, what it says here. It says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children or sons and daughters of God. That is, when we know that, that we are children of God, when the Spirit of God is living and abiding in us. The Bible tells us that is the evidence that you are a saved child of God. Verse number 18. I love this verse. I guess you could say Paul was a southerner. Because he used the word, I reckon. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he says here that there's times in his life, and we read about that in, in other places of the New Testament, when he was shipwrecked, when he was stoned, when he was persecuted. And the Bible says that all those sufferings that he went through does not compare to the great manifestation of the glory of God that will be given to him in heaven. In other words, he says this, as the songwriter it will be worth it all. Romans chapter 8 goes on to say, it says in verse 28, that we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are who are the called according to His purpose. God in His providential sovereign ways has a way to take all of our hang-ups and mess-ups and our stumblings and our, our failings and our shortcomings and turning them out to, his, to manifest His great honor, glory, and praise. And I'm thankful for that. And how He can work out everything in your life, everything in my life, everything in our church's life, everything in our nation's life for His great glory and His great good. He says here, if God be for us, who can be against us? I'm thankful today that if Nebuchadnezzar was against God, we still have God on our side. If Nero was against God, as both of them were at one point in their lives, we still have God on our side. And if anybody opposes the very words of Christ, we know that Christ is on our side. And then it brings us to verse 35. 
There's a few key words in verse 35 that I want to draw your attention to. But before I do that, today I have a one-word message, and it's the word love. That is, if you walk away with anything today, I want you to walk away with the word love. And then, if I could elaborate on that, I believe that this section of Scripture portrays this truth. And it is this one point that I want to share with you. And I'll reiterate it time and time again in this message, and that is this thought. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Right here in verse number 35, the Bible says separate or separate. And this word separate, it literally means to build a wall of partition between one person and another. And today I am so thankful that 2,000 years ago Jesus came to break down that wall, that barrier between humanity and God Almighty. And now we have a great mediator and that is His name is Jesus Christ. And there was a day, my friend, when I was separated from the presence of God because of my sin. And God stepped in and He broke down all those walls. And He saved me by His grace and His mercy. And if you've never experienced that, sa uh, that salvation, I urge you, I plead with you, I beseech you, and I earnestly beg you to bow your knee to Jesus Christ. In the context, He says, Who? Or what can anything separate us from God's love? You see, sin separates us from the very presence of God, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we read about that in John 3.16. I know, I know we quote this verse all the time, but it says loved, past tense. So there was a time in history when God loved all of humanity in such a way that He came to the cross and died for all of our sins. The Bible says that He's a propitiation for not ours only, but also the sins of the world. In other words, He paid the penalty for sin once and for all, and that demonstrates the very love of God towards humanity. So don't you ever tell me that God does not love humanity. Don't you ever tell me that the God of the Bible is the God of hatred, because God demonstrated His love to us in a greater way than anything else this world has ever seen. The Bible goes on to say here, it says, Shall tribulation separate us from God's love? This word tribulation, would you say that with me? Tribulation. Say it out loud. Tribulation. One more time, please. Tribulation. This word tribulation, it gives the idea. Imagine, imagine if you would, if you would just go to my parents' backyard. And in my parents' backyard, there's a garden. And in the midst of that garden, there's a grapevine. And if, if we could, just imagine that grapevine is like a gigantic vineyard. And we would harvest those grapes. And, and if we could go back hundreds and hundreds of years, those grapes would be placed... In, in a big container or a large space and people would go and they would step on those grapes. Hopefully they would wash their feet first. But they would smash those grapes so that one day they could have that grape juice. And I say that to say this. That this word, tribulation, is the idea that the burdens of life have provided so much pressure on an that there's nothing else they can do but cry out to God for help. And I know that, that many of you have gone through personal trials recently. I know our nation and our world is going through a trial. But I want you to know this, that when those trials and those burdens 
are so full of pressure and we feel like we can't carry it any longer, that's the moment we lay it before the feet of Jesus. That's the moment we cry out to Him and say, God, intervene. God, come and be with us and help us. Paul the Apostle is writing this, and he was a man who experienced these tribulations and trials to a great degree that I, my mind can't fully comprehend. And so if God saw Paul through those trials, you better believe God can see us through this one. So can tribulation separate us from God's love? No way. In fact, I believe tribulation is the, is the manifestation of, of mankind should be seeking the very love of God. Because when God allows us to go through these tribulations, I believe that He makes His presence known to us because He's the one, you say He's silent in this storm. He might be silent, but only if you're not opening up the Word of God and reading it for yourself. You say that is, that is the only time, by the way, God is silent. And that is when you're not opening up the Scripture and reading it for yourself. And I believe that God is not silent in this trial. It's just He might be silent to you. Because you're not opening up God's Word and reading it for yourself. And if you would open up God's Word, you'll see time and time again that God has demonstrated His love to us in the greatest of trials. The Bible goes on to say distress. This word gives the idea of calamity. That is, just the disasters that are going on in our life. We talked about Matthew 24, how in the last days there's going to be, there's going to be all sorts of stuff. There's going to be diseases. There's going to be pestilences. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be wars. What's, what we're seeing right now is just part of life. It is. It's just magnified to a degree that we haven't really seen in our own lives. But I want you to know this. That the calamities that are going on in our life cannot separate us from the love of God. It can't do it. If all of us got corona and we all died today, it does not mean God isn't a loving God. You see, coronavirus is just another disease that's been plagued by the result of mankind's disobedience in the garden. So please, don't ever say disease and death and destruction is the result of God not being loving. It's a result of mankind not being obedient to the words of Scripture. And here, I want you to know this, that God can step in and... and and bring us out of these distresses and calamities and tribulations. Notice the next word, it says persecution. Say persecution with me. Persecution. This word, it literally means persecution. <laughs> doesn't matter if you look it up in the, in the lexicon or if you look it up in the dictionary. It gives the idea of, of, of somebody who believes in Jesus Christ and they are receiving turmoil and trials because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not ready to say what we're going through is Acts chapter 5. I'm not ready to get on that bandwagon yet. But what I am ready to say is this, that the days we're living in can lead to times in the very near future of Acts chapter 5. And when that day comes, that is the day we say we obey God rather than men. I'm still thankful for the freedom we have to stand up and you can say whatever you want to say about anything in America. You have the freedom to do that. And I'm still thankful today that we have the freedom to reveal the true words of Scripture found in God's Word. So there might come a day when you're persecuted in jail because you're being in Jesus' name and proclaiming the gospel of truth. 
And if that day comes, I urge you not to back up, pack up, or shut up. I urge you to speak up and to speak out and to stand out and to be bold and courageous because the the apostles once did the same. And God calls us to stand firm on the word of truth. Then it says here, famine. This is something that, that you and I do not understand. Famine. Today we've got McDonald's, we've got Chipotle, we've got Chick-fil-A, we've got, sub, we've got fast food upon fast food restaurant. We've got chain restaurants like Outback. We've got, we got restaurants upon restaurants. We've got Walmart upon Walmart. Kroger upon Kroger, food line upon, we got all the access to groceries that we can. But there are millions upon millions of people all over the world that are experiencing what the Bible calls famine. And that means a scarcity of food. Today, it's, it's interesting. Some commentators have said that because uh, the word famine is, is right after the word persecution, that because somebody is persecuted for their faith, there are that they to eat. And surely we could give example after example that believers have been persecuted and thrown in jail and not given the proper food to eat and therefore received a scarcity of food. Whether this is speaking of the famines that we know of or, or that type of persecuted famine, you know, we can, we can discuss that. But nonetheless, eats are famines. And it cannot separate us from the love of God. You know why I know that? Because there was a day when Jesus gave his life on the cross. And he said, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll never die. You'll never thirst. I'm thankful that I have drank from the fountain filled with blood of Calvary's cross. And I have partaken in the body by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on here. Nakedness. So in the context here, we see tribulation, these trials that have have become so burdensome that the pressure just, you can't carry it any longer. And then, then you see the distress or all the calamities going on. Then you see persecution and then you see famine, a scarcity of food. And then it says here, nakedness. This, some commentators have said that, that this literally means that those who've been persecuted, not only can they eat because of the persecution, but they don't even have the resources to pay for proper clothing to put on their backs. It's very interesting. Nonetheless, there's people all over the world that wear the same t-shirt for weeks and wear the same pair of shoes for years if they even have a pair of shoes. Can, can I just take you to the average closet in America? If you would just open up that nice walk-in closet that really some could use as a bedroom. And then you see garment after garment after garment after garment. And then you see pants after pants after pants. Shirt, 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 shirt. Dress clothes after dress clothes. Suit after suit. And then shoe after shoe. we got our flip-flops. We've got our tennis shoes. We've got our skateboarding shoes. We've got our, our slides. We've got our boots. We've got, we've got every kind of shoe you could ever imagine. But there's people all over the world 
that don't have what we have. And I say this, whether your closet is full or whether your closet is empty, it does not mean God doesn't love you. God loves us regardless of what we have on and what we have in our wardrobe. So that cannot separate us from the love of God. Then the Bible goes on to say peril. This means dangerous. You know, the Bible says in Timothy, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And all that means is dangerous. Now, proper understanding of eschatology or end times, we understand that, that the last days are from the moment Jesus ascended until he returns again. So those are the last days. But it is interesting that there will be times when, when leading up to the days of Christ, Matthew 24 gives us the understanding that times are going to be extremely dangerous. And I believe that moments that we're seeing like are times that's preparing the world for the greater, most dangerous, the most perilous times our world has ever seen. And that will all take place in the tribulation period. If you think today is dangerous, if you think the rates are crazy today, listen, we haven't seen anything of what the great tribulation will be like. As described in Matthew 24, as described in the book of Revelation, as described by the prophet Daniel and other of the Old Testament and New Testament. These dangerous times can't separate us from God, His love, that is. These dangerous times, I believe, should, should drive us to a place where we believe that God is still love and that God is still good. And check it out now. It's His sword. You know, sometimes the Bible, when it speaks of sword, it speaks of kind of war. Whatever is meaning here, whether it's war whether it's just somebody holding a dagger or whether it is people fighting or actually committing cold blood murder. We know that Jesus died for any of those sins. That if Adolf Hitler, that if Joseph Stalin would have cried out to God in repentance and faith and said, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me. We know that Jesus Christ could cleanse the vilest of sinners. Here today I'm reminded of a prophet in the Old Testament. As, as I these words of Scripture. I was reminded of a God to go to a nation and share the Word of God. And this nation was very brutal. This nation was very vicious and ferocious and how they dealt with other people that were not their own. The Bible says that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. We believe that these were the Assyrians. They were a world power in their day. And they were like the Nazis of the ancient world. Brutally killing. And doing the vilest of things our minds could ever imagine. And Jonah says, or Jonah's reaction to God's word says, God, they don't deserve your mercy because of the things they've done. And so Jonah runs the completely opposite direction. And he finds himself in the sea in a whale. And he cried out to God in that place. And then in Jonah chapter 3, we read about how the word of God came to him a second time. 
And he went to Nineveh. Walked through. And he began to get somewhere between each end of that large place. And he said, Yet in 40 days shall Nineveh be destroyed. And he sat down. Doesn't sound like a preacher to me. <laughs> Most preachers I know are long-winded. And would, would, would be thrilled to go to a place like that and share the grace and mercy in God, of God. But see, as you read chapter 4 of Jonah, we find that Jonah was prejudiced towards the Assyrians and the Ninevites. In other words, Jonah had a little hatred and, and racism harboring in his heart. And say this, that racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. And we should not hold back the words of Scripture to any nation, to any tongue, to any kindred. In fact, I believe that we should take the Word of God and go to the most dangerous places in the world and share the love and mercy of God to them. And so here the Bible says that sword, famine, persecution, disease, all this stuff cannot separate us from the love of God. And then, verse 36, Paul quotes an Old Testament passage, and time doesn't allow us to dive into that. But then he goes on to say, in verse number 37, he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Why are we conquerors? Because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. It's interesting, this word conquer, it, it means to overly conquer. It means to conquer in a way that the enemy had no chance of prevailing. And may I say this, 2,000 years ago, Jesus conquered the works of the enemy. He conquered death, hell, and the grave in such a way that now death, hell, the grave, and Satan has no authority and power over the people of God. And then he says this. He says, I'm persuaded. He says, I am fully convinced of this. These two verses just give the idea that nothing can separate us from God's love. He says, death. The great enemy of life is death. We at some point fear death. We're afraid of it. It's the unknown. We have no idea that, that we know what, what God's Word says about it, but we haven't experienced death like we experience life, so man fears it. But we don't have to fear it as a child of God because Jesus conquered it. This is life. He says, whether I go through the process of death or whether I remain alive on this earth, I can still have love. He says, no angels, not even an angel, not even Gabriel or Michael or any angelic being or any fallen angelic being can separate us from God's love. They might influence us to do the right thing or the wrong thing, but they cannot separate us from God's love. Here it says, check it out. It says, no principalities or powers. Check it out. No ruler in the world, whether it's the state of Virginia, the United States of America, or some other nation, can, can build a wall of partition between us and God's love. It says no, nothing in the present, nothing that's happening right now in our lives can do that. Not even the riots in Roanoke or other cities. And nothing in the future that we can't see can separate us from God's love. 
It says no height. It doesn't matter if you go on top of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet up in the air, or it doesn't matter if you go into the very bottom of the ocean, 36,000 feet deep in the Mariana Trench. The Bible says those two places, those two extremes, cannot set a wall of partition between you and God's love. It says nor any other creature. Shall. Not maybe, not might, but shall. A definitive promise from the Holy Spirit to the child of God. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love. It's what our world needs. Not more hate. As the late Martin Luther King Jr. said, hatred cannot drive out hatred. And I submit to you today, the only thing that can drive out hatred is loving those who hate us. Praying for those who persecute us. And who despise us. Do you remember what the New Testament says? It says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. For your love towards one another. God wants us to love each other as if we love ourselves. And I, I know love one. I know that. I believe that. And I would like to conclude with this thought. That if I walked up to you and I said, you're going to jail for life because of what you've done. And I walked away. That would be offensive. That would be crazy. If I just walked up to you and said, you're going to jail for life because of what you've done. People would be full of rage if you did that. But if I walked up to you and said, hey, the law says that if you walk into a bank and you steal all the money in the safe and you murder all the tellers in the process and you walk away and you get caught, you're going to go to jail for life and most likely suffer the consequences of capital punishment. And here's the way, as, as, as Ray Comfort said, that this is how love warns is you use the law of God to convert the soul. And you say, hey, how many lies have you told in your life? How many things have you stolen in your life? How many times have you looked upon somebody with lust? How many times have you expressed hatred in your heart to somebody else? How many times have you said God's name in vain, even if it's just, oh my, guilty is charged. By, by that, I am a lying, thieving blaspheming, adulterer at heart, and murder at heart. And I have to face God on Judgment Day. Innocent or guilty? I would be guilty. And so would everybody else in humanity. But if we don't expose the law to the Savior, we will not understand their need for a Savior. The Bible says, Paul said in Romans, that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So let us remember that. That in love, yes, we warn the world, 
of the future judgment to come. But we do it full of grace, full of mercy, and full of meekness. Love is what our world needs. Not more hate. Love is what the church needs. To love each other. To edify each other. And to help each other when we go astray and when we do wrong. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.